for me, PG is like one of the like most creative places on in America, probably. I think that like PG, DC, like we have this synergy of like this uniqueness, especially when it comes to like fashion. Then you have Go-Go, which is like an assortment of genre of music. So like, like you can go to a Go-Go and experience rock, R&B, jazz. You experience all these genres. And I think it makes us a bit more well-rounded as artists or just more aware of different sounds and different sonic pockets that I think that definitely has played a part in like my music development and things like that. Welcome back to Not 97. On today's episode, we sit down with R&B's rising star, Reggie Becton. We discuss his hometown of PG County and what that community means to him. Break down the eras of his budding career from the iconic orange beanie to now and talk through his creative process and the stories behind his latest release, Sad Boy Volume 1, out now everywhere. Live from the studio and brought to you by The Orchard and Human Resources, this is not a podcast, this is not a radio show, this is Not 97. Enjoy. Reggie Becton. What's happening? Welcome to Not 97. Thanks for having me. Welcome to New York. Yes, yes. How you feeling? Feeling good. You know, New York has been treating me well. I've been catching the train this time around. Normally I come and I don't catch the train, but I've been catching the train this time around. So I, you know, I hopped the turnstile. So I feel like I'm oh. getting it. You know? <laughs> Yo, this is on camera. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I heard they don't care here. I heard it's like, it's the way of life. It's the culture here. Like, that's the way you got to get on the train. Yeah. Have you spent much time here? I used to spend a lot. When I was in college, I went to Temple in Philly. Yeah. We used to spend a lot of summers here, out here, like go back and forth in the summer. But I haven't spent enough time like in New yeah. York and like figuring my own way out. Like, you never lived here. Exactly. Yeah. Word. I'm um, thinking about it now, though. Yeah? After this trip, I'm like, oh, a summer, at least a summer, like two months, wouldn't be so bad. It might be a bit fun. I heard the summer has to go up. Bro, the summers are different. But you're from Peachy County, Maryland. Yes. We were talking about before we started rolling that this season of 997, we are tapped into the DMV in a way that we did not nice. plan. But we had your friend Alex Vaughn on the show a few weeks ago. Oh, fire. Okay. We had Dreamcast Mo okay. from DC. And it's happening with you. And it feels like we're very much like kind of just like seeing what's going on in that scene. I think in an interesting way. I think there's a lot of like new, exciting, emerging arts that's like in the DC area that's like really all starting to bubble at once. So it's kind of cool to see like a lot of people that I came up with or that I know from back home, like Alex, like Kilo, like Matt McGee, like all of them starting to emerge at the same time. And we all are familiar with each other from back home in a way. Yeah, yeah. What is that coming up like in PG County and everything? What is that? What does PG mean to you? Like, what does that scene mean to you? Yeah, I think for me, PG is like one of the like most creative places on in America, probably. I think that like PG, DC, like we have this synergy of like this uniqueness, especially when it comes to like fashion. Do you have Go-Go, which is like an assortment of genre of music. So like when growing up, you listen to Go-Go and Go-Go, they're covering rock bands, they're covering Neo, so they're covering R&B. So like you can go to a Go-Go and experience rock, R&B, jazz. You can go to a Go-Go concert, which a lot of us do in our teenage years. You experience all these genres. And I think it makes us a bit more well-rounded as artists or just more aware of different sounds and different sonic pockets that I think that definitely has played a part in like my music development and things like that. And I think DC also like cultivates you to like just be your own self. Like I think 
you hear a lot of people in D.C. or Maryland be like, I'm not pressed, I'm not pressed. And I think that's something that we all, like, stand by. We like to stay to our own and, like, do our own thing a lot there. Yeah. What has it, like, how has it felt, you know, when we talked to Alex, she had just dropped the, the Hurt book, like, the Lux pack, you okay. know, the Homegirl pack. You know, she's Ari and everything. But, like, what has it been like kind of seeing or, or being a part of that? Because I know you wrote on a couple of those mm-hmm. songs as well. Yeah, yeah, no, it's been it's been cool to see Alex become the star that we kind of all knew she was. I remember seeing like one of her first covers and it was just like out of this world. Like she had this nice velvet tone that I think that is just great. And she's also a phenomenal person, like super exciting. And it's been fun to like play a part in her journey, you know, like being from the same area. I feel like we don't as artists work enough together. So it's cool to have her and Money all invite me to sessions and create songs like So Be It or like Demon Time, which Arya's on. So it's like this weird DC like unity thing in a way. So it's cool yeah. to see how we all are playing a part. And I think everyone in DC is rooting for Alex to, you know, be the next big thing. Yeah. No, I think it's cool to see. It helps remind you that like these, that there's real community. Yes. And I think sometimes it's easy to like lose sight of that. Yeah, it's super important. I think that like, even this morning I woke up with like on my mind was like, a lot of people think that like it's just one person doing it and because you're the face of it, you get a lot of the credit for it. But like, no, it's a team effort. Like I have so many people on my team who work and like give me creative creative ideas and direction. So it's not just me like sitting at home and being like this ultimate artist who knows it all. I'm really getting help from different people that's on my team to kind of create the art that the world sees. Yeah. And, and you've been out in LA for how many years now? I've been there for six years. I, honestly, I, I feel like some people... Some people can knock the community feel of LA, mm-hmm. but watching from me from the outside, watching what you do and and how you've been moving, it feels like you have a very strong community out there, which no is exciting. It's really exciting. It's something that I think was unexpected. You know, I feel like when we even did home this year, that's why LA was a must because home LA feels like home. You know, so it's one of those things that I don't take for granted, and it's weird because like. LA kind of rivals my hometown when it comes to like how I stream, the support I get, my show ticket sales in those places and things like that. So it's cool to see like this community develop around me out there. And I think it's a testament of like, when I got to LA, I did a lot of like LA groundwork. Yeah. It just like took every show I could take, dive bars, so far. So there was one point we performed in front of like a dog, a dog pet store or something like that. It was, it was weird in the parking lot. <laughs> But, you know, like, I really took... I didn't take anything for granted in those early yeah. years. And I really, like, did some groundwork in LA. So it's cool to see. No, nah, I think that's a lesson, I imagine. And I feel like there's a lot of artists that go out to LA and they're like, this is going to happen for me, whatever. Right. And they don't do that groundwork. And then a year or two later, they're like, feel isolated and and nothing's happening. And it's like, well, what, it, what work did you put in? And, exactly. and so I f- that's a lesson to learn there. No, it's all about the work, for yeah. sure. Over the last year, and and I, I feel like coming up with the new album, there's been a, a lot of different milestones for you that you've hit. I saw that you became one of the like Grammy Next Generation. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, what has that like? I guess what prompted you to like kind of go for that, and, and what does that mean to you, kind of to be part of that like Grammy Next Generation? No, I think it's I think it's surreal. You know, to me, like being with the Grammy, the Grammy is like my ultimate dream. So to me, this was just like getting the email, getting the message saying like, oh, you've been accepted as a member, was kind of like, oh, a step in that right direction. But I think like, you know, the Grammys is like the creme de la creme of when you're a musician. So it's really cool to see 
I'm happy that now, like this past year, I was able to vote for some of my friends, especially yeah. like some of my friends who are independent artists, because I think that a lot of times we get overlooked in when it comes to Grammy and things like that. So it's been quite the journey to get there, but I feel like it's been a natural progression of the work I put in. So like I got the message and I was surprised, but it's kind of like a sigh of relief or like a all validation, like we were talking about earlier, like yeah. feeling vindicated in a way. Yeah. Like, all right, the work I'm doing is paying off. Yeah. I know, you know, you've been re- releasing music pretty consistently since 2018 mm-hmm. and had a, almost a few different eras. Right, right. And I know maybe the the most iconic era, the, the Orange Beanie era. Yes, yes, yes. Do you look at like your career in those kind of like era terms? And For like, sure. If so, kind of where are we now? Yeah, I think... I definitely look at it in like eras because like we came up in the time where like that's what's the music thing. Like yeah. each project was a different feel. And it's crazy because the orange beanie was something I like started. I randomly bought one day and I wore it and then I wore it at a show and then people started to remember me by the yeah, orange beanie. Just so I just owned it. Then Marvin Gaye is from DC and it was kind of like an homage to him. So it was cool. And then when I started, I was like, I would never take the beanie off. Like I wore the one same <laughs> orange beanie for like the first three years. Even like my manager, she tried to buy me a new beanie and I was like, no, this is not quality. <laughs> Shout out to Bricks and Woods. They make the orange beanie hey. that I wear. And it's like one Did of they the- tap in? Yeah, yeah, they have tapped in. We've been in conversation with them. So hopefully we can do something with soon. But I bought it. It was like before they like, started mass producing them. Yeah. So it's a very particular beanie that I have because I that's bought it even, whenever in the shop. That's even like real LA community shit. Exactly. So it's cool to see and I thought I would never take it off. And then I, my hair just started to grow and that became a thing. And I was like, all right, I never had braids. So I'll try some braids out. But yeah, like each project, I'm looking at it as if it's like, you know, a different part of me. What level? Where am I at now? And like right now, we're in the sad boy era. So there's a lot of like somber gloominess coming. I'm wearing my afro. I'm wearing braids and that's, that's been fun. At first, like, I used to feel like my hat gave me a piece. Like, the beanie gave me a piece of my life to keep to myself. So, like, it was hot in my hair for a minute. And I felt like, all right, my hair was something that I could reserve for myself. And now I feel like I'm ready to, like, you know, share a bit more of me, share a bit yeah. who I am. Yeah. It's it's like it's like growth. Exactly. So, so you, is, this is the sad boy era. Yes. And, um, yeah, it was it was a fun project to work on. We were supposed to drop it last year, but I wanted to sit with it some more and make sure it was just right. And there was just a lot going on in my life at the time where, like, releasing a project wasn't really the most beneficial thing to do. I wanted to take some time to take a trip with things like that. But now we're finally here, and, yeah, I'm happy with how everything sounds. I'm happy how everything came out. And it's really just, like, this world I wanted to create to kind of be a bit more vulnerable to talk more about the emotions I've been feeling for the last year and get some of that out. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, like, why sad boy, you know? Are, it, you, are you still sad? Oh, for sure. I'm not as sad as I was then. <laughs> it was weird. I wrote the project. I felt like I wrote the project, and it was, like, the most fun creating experience. And then immediately after I finished it, I got sad. <laughs> I don't know why. And then I got happy again, and then I got sad. <laughs> and I think part of it was I started to... Ex- so I felt like all the songs was kind of, like, an experience that I've already had been through. And then I started dating and getting in these situations. I'm like starting to reliving some of the stuff that I'm going talking about in the song. So I'm like, am I manifesting yeah. my love life or is these past feelings just coming back up? So with this weird dichotomy of like trying to figure those things out. But yeah, no, it's a it's a cool project. There's eight songs in the project. And I kind of made it in mind with like trying to trying to go back to feelings that I like wish I had or like wish I experienced. Like some some songs like life, you sing, for example, is an experience I felt one that I want to repeatedly feel because it was yeah. so great, you know? And then there's other songs like self-control where it's like, 
I want to fall in love so bad that it feels like disparity almost. You know, like, so it's like this, this assortment of feelings on it. There's a good setup because I've been listening. Well, I was listening to a lot of your music okay. over the past few days, just kind of like prepping for this. Okay. And I've talked to a couple of different R&B artists recently. And I've been thinking about this because y'all get really vulnerable. Right. Talking a lot about love, about finding love, falling in love, love lost. Mm -hmm. Do you ever feel pressured about what you're like to have to write about love? For sure. And then, and then is that a stressful thing where you're like, sometimes I'm just trying to do me, you know? I don't need to be in love or, or falling out of love. No, that's for sure a real thing. And I, I think about that often. Like, I feel like I was thinking about that this morning, but like definitely there's pressure to feel like you have to write love songs, especially now more than ever when every day you're waking up on Twitter and it's like, no yeah. one sings about love anymore. No one, especially men in R&B, where's this music? Where's the begging and pleading? And I'm like, <laughs> I just think that like Twitter, it's like this weird universe where nobody really knows what they want. Everybody just wants to go viral and get yeah. like a... 3K tweet off. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of pressure to like write love songs. And there's these times where like anytime I go to the studio and I'm going to collaborate with somebody and they play me a song that's not about love, I automatically be like, yeah, let's do that one. Right. Because I just don't want to, you know, like I'm just not in that place. I just wrote about all the love shit I've been going through on my album. You, you know, so to go through it again, it's like, ugh. Yeah. You have a lot of love songs. I you do. Know? And so, yeah, I was, I was thinking about it and being just like, I think, well, one, I think those people on Twitter, like, there's a lot of, of men writing about love out here. You can there's find too it. Many. You just look for it. Exactly. But yeah, I think it's it's kind of an interesting thing where it's like, and also what you said before about like writing a love song and then that manifesting in your in your life or going through trials and tribulations in your life and then having in the back of your head, like, is this a song? Exactly. I can imagine that's a constant. I got some songs in the back of my head now. Yeah. I, told, I told my director, Chris... He was asking me, like, yo, it's sad. Because Sad Boy is a two-volume project, so we're dropping volume one. And he's like, is volume two going to be a bit more happier, upbeat? And I was like, that was the plan. But this morning, I woke up feeling like I still got some stuff to get off my chest for a yeah. couple people. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So last year, you dropped Streets. Yes, yes, yes. Is that going to be on the project? That is. It's on the project. And I, and I heard you describe it as crying in the club music. Yeah, 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 yeah. On brand. But I, I, I've talked a lot recently kind of about, well, we've talked about crying in the club music, but also just about kind of context at which people listen to music mm -hmm. and and wondering if that's something kind of that goes through your head during the writing process and, and, and like development process of like, how do you, where do you envision people living with this music? You know, that's, I'm glad you asked that question because that's something that like when working on Sad Boy, that's something I kept wanting to like think about. I kept thinking about that over and over. And I think that with Sad Boy, we developed a short film with it. And I think part of me wanting to develop a short film because I love TV, I love cinema, that's what I went to college for and things like that. But it also was like, I wanted to put people in a world that showed them how this music should be experienced. So a song like Streets, it was definitely like, all right, what the film version of this, how are we going to bring this song to life? And I need to bring the feeling. Like with each song in the short film, I was like, Streets is a crown in a club anthem. So whatever we do, it has to feel like Streets, you know, like... With sway, like in the in the in the film, it has to bring those feelings to life. Kind of like music supervision. I think that's why music supervision has become such a thing, because I think we live in a society where like we want to be guided almost a bit more than in the past. 
And I think that music supervision guides people to like how this song makes you feel in this scene. You're like, oh, I felt exactly like that. I need to go listen to that song when I feel like that. Yeah. So that's kind of what we've been doing with the short film. So definitely created these project songs. It's like almost like a soundtrack to my life. That's kind of how I went into it. Like, how do I bring what I'm feeling to an audible experience? Yeah, I appreciate that. And also, and also appreciate you bringing up film and, and TV. I didn't know you went to school for that. I was, you know, I wanted to ask you about kind of, I think you seeing your visual output, there's definitely a lot of care and attention that goes into it with you know, the visuals that just dropped to life. But also I know that, was it Room 143 that you directed? Yes, yes. As like your first directorial debut. Mm-hmm. Is Are those kind of like beyond, kind of thinking about where it's living, but like are those visuals kind of like a, a real part of that writing process too? You're in the studio being like, this is how this is going to look. Yeah, I think it's like very, it depends. It's like spirit of the moment. I think some songs I write and I immediately know how I want the visual to look. And there's some songs like Room 143, that was something where like the song was inspired by like 112 and R&B groups. So with the video, I was like, yo, we should do something else. And then the Jodeci Desert idea yeah. came. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. And it's also kind of this, this in the back of my mind, is like, how do we create like the biggest feeling thing for the cheapest? Because everything yeah. is like, you know, indie budget. And I think those things all play a part in like coming up with some of the creativity. And I also work with the same director on every bit. Video, so shout out Chris Felix. Yeah. But I think that helps also because we know each other so well. So like something with life, it was like, yo, we need to shoot a video for the song. I want to dance. He was like, oh, I know the perfect location. Yeah. You know, it was that yeah. easy and we shot it in two hours before I hopped on the plane to go to India. Like crazy. really that crazy and that fast pace. And with Sad Boy, the visual identity was definitely something that we thought about while creating the music. And like some songs I was like, no, this doesn't fit because it won't fit in the short film. And like there was other songs we thought fit and we had episodes ready for the short film. We're releasing it episodic, so I call it episodes. And we had episodes ready to shoot. And then I was like, no, I don't really like that song. So then it was taken out and then we had to figure out, okay, how does the story take place? So this one was more of a video and music together. It was fun to like create both at the same time. I like that. Yeah, I guess speaking of the life music video, yeah, what inspired you to, to get the choreo going? I don't know. I think it was something that we always wanted to do, or at least I always wanted to do. We tried it before on like 2020, I think we tried it. And we tried it for another song, Love Motion. And it didn't come out well. It didn't come out how I wanted to do, how I wanted it to be. So we went back to the drawing board and then life came up and I always felt like life was like super rhythmic and it has this great groove to it. And I was like, I think it's time, you know, I try to do, you know, some eight counts in a video. And uh, I work with a great choreographer, Cherry, who kind of choreographed things and made it comfortable enough to like, where I can look like I'm a dancer and watch a lot of Usher videos before, yeah. <laughs> we, before we shot to try to channel that energy of the GOAT. And it came together pretty well. I like how it came together. I love that. I, I think as you, as you do more shows with the Sad Boy music out, I think that'll be a really fun thing to have live. And the like, dance? You be out there dancing, seeing the people in the crowd moving. That would be fun. I need to call Victoria Monet to see how to breathe and sing. I mean, you got to be like... You got to be careful once you do the choreo, people out there doing it. Exactly. People are expecting you to, and people expect you to do it on a live show. So we, we may work we'll that, see. we may work that in. Um, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> so to play us out of the interview, if you, we have every artist introduce a song of theirs. The song I'm going to choose to play is actually this title track off of Sad Boy. It's called Sad Boy. This song kind of inspired the sonic identity for the project. I like to call a music R&B for the people of Gotham City. So it has a dark feel, feels real cinematic. And I feel like it's like 
Sad Boy's villain origin story. So this is Sad Boy. Jay was different, vicious, explicit, talking about kisses, positions, addicted to that vibe and then you switched it, I can't leave you alone, I'm conflicted, I can't leave you alone, I'm just saying, praying, hoping, staying, no I'm not complaining, I'm just trying to tell you how I feel.